This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Today, we'll be talking about the future of work. Our returning guest is Joan Lynch. She's the Chief Content Officer of Working Nation. That's a nonprofit group that predicted the big gap between the skill set of American workers and the new jobs now opening up around the country. Her real focus today is shining a light on the solutions for our economy and for our working people. We'll talk about the groups whose careers were hardest hit by the pandemic and about strategies and programs that might help them get back into the workforce. Most important, Joan will describe areas where there will be new jobs, and she'll make suggestions about how you can build the skills that will open doors and bring you new kinds of opportunities. Joan, thanks so much for joining us again here on Jest About Work. I, I know you are one very busy woman. Since you were here last summer talking about jobs trends and what was happening during, during the pandemic, it feels like many, many things have happened. So what have you been up to and what has Work Nation been focusing on lately? Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's a real pleasure. Um, I think like everyone else uh, in this country and around the world, it's been a year of um, the unknowns and a lot of fear, both on a health um, level, but also on an employment level. So Working Nation was sort of right in the middle of that. Um, And, you know, our goal has been to continue to tell stories of solutions, to continue to tell stories of where people can go to get the training to get into um, life-sustaining jobs and careers. I'll say that one of the things that we had talked about for years and our founder had talked about it was that, you know, we were looking at an unemployment issue that was coming in, you know, five to 10 years and uh, COVID just exacerbated that as everyone knows. Uh, So being in the center of the conversation about employment, um, we were able to really move forward in a way and tell stories in a way that that were different than what we had originally been telling. I'll say we, as an editorial team, decided uh, in April of 2020 to pivot a bit. We had talked for so long about careers and how to get people into pathways for careers that were still going to exist in five to seven years, even with AI and technology and globalization. Um, we, we would point towards those. And, and really from kind of a compassionate place, we got together and started to talk about jobs that, you know, some people call them lifeboat jobs, jobs that people were having to move into because they had lost their work because of COVID, um, because businesses were closing. And so we really leaned into the fact that we needed to address these workers in a way that we had not been in the past. We've been talking to them about training, talking to them about careers, but in a lot of cases with with compassion, we had to say, we, we need to point people towards where there is opportunity right now to have employment, to get a job, even if it's to hold themselves over. Uh, and then in the meantime, if they have the time, where are the places that they could possibly be getting skills to build using this time towards uh, future careers? 
I've been following your very excellent website, which, by the way, is a nonprofit um, website. You guys called some of these issues years ago, and now you're doing a great job of covering them. So I've been I've been following your website, and I do want to get into the solutions. That's what I'm always particularly interested in. But we let's just touch upon some of the impacts first. I the impact on women in particular has been kind of mind blowing. Can you just give us a like a quick overview of what the last year has done to women workers? Yeah, I, it's been devastating, um, as you know. And you know, the numbers tell the story. Almost three million women have dropped out of the workforce. This is after decades of women um, really having um, grown in terms of their their placement in the workforce in leadership positions. I mean, women were on a trajectory to to really be uh, equal, and in some cases, even more in certain areas um, placed in certain sectors. And this has been absolutely devastating. So for 3 million women to have dropped out of the, the workforce, you know, they're saying of all the people that have left the workforce, that's 56% of the workforce that has left have been women. And the projections for when that will come back, as opposed to certain other groups, I mean, we're talking about 2024. It's very, it's devastating. And, you know, again, there's women that have had to make these choices because of, you know, care for their families, their children, um, their, uh, their parents that might be living with them. There's also, convers- and I think we'll get into this in this conversation, there's also sort of the the topic that a lot of people don't talk about, which is access to, um, you know, broadband and access to all of those things. Not every home has multiple computers. In some cases, couples are having to make decisions about who is going to be working, how their children are going to be on computers, perhaps, and, and how to make all of that work. Um, but it has been even more pronounced for um, underprivileged women that Perhaps we're in lower wage jobs. We know this. We know that minorities have taken a really hard hit, but specifically women in those cases, um, it has been really heartbreaking to watch. So what has happened is that the gender situation at work, which was, you know, progressing and women were growing in multiple fields in the tech industry and other areas. And we were telling stories about these great solutions for women uh, for them to move up in these positions, um, they essentially we've we've taken a huge hit. At many of the um, things that we've always associated with women workers, like parental leave and daycare and um, those kinds of support systems, um, are, are certainly part of the picture. But I'm so glad you um, mentioned broadband because I think that's not one that at least I realized was going to be so particularly difficult for women. But it's, it's not just women and people who um, are, um, have a lower income and can't afford broadband. It's also regional. Rural areas have been devastated because they have fewer options in many cases. And, it, and there are whole counties that just don't have broadband. So that has been huge. But, but it feels like there's been some recognition, and one thing that might come out of this is at least um, in um, 
low-income and rural areas, it feels like we're going to get some faster solutions to broadband than it looked like a year or two ago. It, does it seem like that to you? It does. I, it does. And I often say, because we are storytellers and we believe that the way to engage people and get them passionate about creating change and opportunity in this country is to tell human stories. And I'm sure you have, I know I have, we have seen these pictures online of children sitting outside of a McDonald's or a local library with their computers trying to have access so that they can go to school. And I really believe that there has been an education in this country about the fact that not everyone can go into their home and easily access school or their work or training programs. Uh, it is a major issue in rural areas. There are states where you know they, they say 50% of their population does not have access. So you know when we talk about solutions, we talk about um, infrastructure as a as an area of job growth in this country, and that does include, of course, access um, to broadband and those types of things. I mean, the FCC reported last year that there was uh, over 21 million Americans that didn't have access to high-speed internet. And then another group came out, um, a group called Broadband Now, and they did their own numbers, and they said that that could be double, that it could be 42 million people that don't have access to broadband. So as we have this conversation today and as Working Nation has this conversation every day about work, we have to approach it from a perspective where we don't make it sound so easy. You know, if you're out of work and you're at home, here are some programs that you can take online to get a certification or to do this. You know, what we've tried to do is not ever be flippant about what we say a solution is when, when there's a lot of people around this country that are hurting that want to be in positions and want to grow their careers, but they don't have, fundamentally, they don't have the access to things that we don't think about a lot of times because it's just so simple for us. Well, the infrastructure is certainly part of it, but I, I agree with you. I, it was an issue that was, has been out there for years and wasn't getting any traction mm-hmm. in public right. awareness. And now all of a sudden, it feels like solutions are, are coming about. But a, as you said at the beginning, all kinds of things have, uh, are speeding up. Mm-hmm. The predictions you all made about the workforce um, mm-hmm. for five years from now are happening. Mm. But at the same time, I think kind of a, a good thing is happening, and that is that people are grappling with the possibility of upskilling, changing mm. their expertise, repurposing their skills. And um, the, uh, there are employers and communities and other kinds of people who are looking for new ways to match the, their needs with the, the workers who, who need help in um, uh, becoming up to date. Can you tell us a little bit about some of about what the upskilling trends are or the um, uh, changing and, 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 and some of the activities that are out there? Sure. So I, I, we had talked, I think the last time you know you and I had, had engaged, we were talking about pre-COVID when there were 7 million open jobs in this country. And an issue with filling those jobs was skills. Um, And, you know, Strata, Strata Education Network recently came out and said that um, a third of the people that have lost their jobs in the pandemic worry that um, they don't have the the education to get the new jobs. And 
That is true based on a lot of the information that is out there, based on reports from Burning Glass um, and others. Burning Glass just put out a new report and they were talking about 18 million new jobs in the creation of that in the next five to seven years. And they identify what those jobs will be. But when Matt Siegelman was asked by our team, will we have the workers to fill those jobs? His answer was no, they don't have the skills to, to fill these jobs that are coming. So your point about upskilling is central to everything that Working Nation talks about. Um, I mean, I'm, I've been on the record saying I don't love the term lifelong learner because I feel like you know people just roll their eyes at it at this point. But we really are in a position right now where we each need to uh, take a look at what we know and what we don't know and what are those opportunities to upskill, um, specifically for people that are have lost their jobs um, or have um, moved into one of these lifeboat jobs in order to just pay the bills. There are fantastic programs around the country. Um, One that comes to mind is uh, generation.org that's all around the country that, you know, has four week to, you know, two month programs where they train folks in jobs um, that are available around the country. They've placed 40,000 workers. There's, they've done actually very well even during COVID um, with really good placement. So, you know, really approaching um, each worker as what is it that you know? What is your skill? Where can you potentially get other certifications, um, stackable credentials? Where can you be bettering yourself? So when we come out of this or whatever is next in order to build a robust economy, You are a valuable employee. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University is having an impact today while providing innovative education for tomorrow's leaders. The master's program in public administration and environmental studies leads students to greatness in nonprofit, environmental, public sector, and government settings. Learn to lead at the Voinovich School. We're now accepting applications. Information is available at ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. When we're talking about people who need to upskill or get certifications or so forth, um, that includes people who have some skills that are quite valuable now, like um, the hospitality industry, the uh, flight attendants who have these wonderful customer service skills. They have skills that they've spent years developing. The question now is how do they package it with other skills that will make them um, suitable for new kind of jobs is is so upskilling is about um, getting training in new industries or what are some examples of upskilling say for somebody who has great uh, customer relations and people skills but whose job has disappeared in restaurants or yeah. airlines. Yeah, I mean, again, you're talking about a, a, a sector that has also been decimated where, you know, uh, just in the U.S., over 4 million jobs were lost last year. 
um, in travel, hospitality, those types of those types of jobs. What we talk about when we talk about transitioning folks into you know these next positions is also you know going back to what their skills are. These are folks that have dealt with challenging situations. They have resiliency. They can communicate. They can think on their feet. You know they're where I always say they're problem solvers and um, and there have been opportunities and companies that have recognized that there's this group of people out there that have these skills that they need for call centers. It's certainly happened a lot with um, COVID and the testing and people needing in every state to hire people to process um, folks through centers. When again, we're talking about a highly fearful group of people, which is really normal when we're dealing with a pandemic in this country. So there's been groups in different states that have been able to do that. You know, in addition, I, I read a story not too long ago about, you know, when Walmart, as we know, Walmart continued to hire throughout COVID. And they reached out to the National Restaurant Association and the Hotel and Lodging Foundation. And they asked both of those organizations how they could potentially hire their furloughed hospitality workers. So it was it's been an interesting um, it's been an interesting process to watch when other companies are are looking at the skills of a totally different sector and saying these people bring value to us. Um, and then there's been a lot of other you know uh, a, a lot of other programs that have started so people can get you know credentialed in in software as a service. Um, I, I read about a company called Aspireship. Um, and they're trying to, to pivot people into these industries and get them the skills and certifications, certifications, <laughs> the skills and certifications, um, but really in partnership with employers. So it has been a remarkable year, I think, and a hopeful year to watch employers, people creating programs or online training um, and city leaders in certain in certain areas that have partnered and created these programs to better serve their community, to get people into work, to get them into work quickly, but also to, to take into account the skills that these folks already have. Because what you don't want to do is downplay and say, oh, you were in the service and you were in the hospitality industry. You're not qualified for a whole lot. Well, that's just not true. So what we try to do at Working Nation is try to build up and get people to acknowledge what their skills are and then point them in the direction of programs, especially local to where they are, that are there to support them that already have partnerships with companies that are employing and can get them on a pathway to gainful employment. I, uh, I agree with you that it's been kind of wonderful and amazing to watch some of these partnerships, the collaboration between mayors and company leaders and people who are looking to hire and local schools and things like that. It's as though um, competition and and political concerns and things like that and, and certain sectors have just been put aside and people are working together and we're making progress um, just as the, the issues have come faster than we expected. So are some of the solutions. And it does seem to um, really help when a, a big company like Walmart um, um, keeps going and, and takes some responsibility for um, uh, developing some of those collaborations. What, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, 
where is the education sector, the traditional higher ed and community college sector in all of this? And are we seeing, I, I know that it's been devastating for them too. Uh, students haven't been going to campus. They, they're trying to learn to do things in totally new ways. But are you seeing collaborations between um, first funders who are helping higher ed or are you seeing higher ed working with industry in a way to repurpose their own programs? Sure. I mean, we've said for a long time, especially with your more traditional four-year colleges that have a little bit harder time pivoting than some of the community colleges, we, you know, clearly there's for the, the history tells us that community colleges and graduation rates and all of that have, have not been great in this country for a long time. However, the stories that we've told at Working Nation are about the local community colleges that have partnered with an employer, that have partnered with a uh, another perhaps training program to create in their community the workforce um, that is necessary in different areas. In Ohio, it was first responders. You know, in in Louisville, you know, the, it's a totally different um, topic. And this, in, in the month of March, Working Nation focused on um, cities. We called it our Focus On series. And we went deep into multiple cities to see what the mayors were doing and really not what just city government is doing because we never will say that the government is going to fix this. What we're saying is, who are the thought leaders in these communities who know the value of these partnerships? So we have a lot of conversations about community colleges and and um, four-year schools, which many of them are, are suffering, as we know. Many of them are shutting down, which is remarkable to watch. Um, but in some cases, like Louisville, you know, one of the things that we found really inspiring was this collaboration between 15 high schools in Jefferson County that said, you know what, we have to get together. We have to make the curriculum ready for some technical education classes. There are jobs in our community that are not getting filled because we all know not everybody is going to go into college. You know, um, they're not, they might get out of high school and go to some of these programs. They might do a little bit of um, either certification work, which we highly encourage, or um, community college or even four-year college. But these schools are starting to recognize that the, the kids that are in the high school are really needing some of the, the tools to prepare them in a better way for what jobs are in the future. So there's been, you know, we, we focused on Tulsa and um, some great work in South Bend, Indiana that also partnered with the local libraries. I mean, it, it, it has been a really creative experience to watch and, and to echo on what you said earlier, having just come through, and maybe we're still in, uh, a period of time that feel, felt very um, divisive in terms of politics, I will say I feel very hopeful in watching these community leaders um, and how they partner and, and how they're looking at their communities and saying, we want these kids, these college students, these adults, these older workers, we want them to thrive. We want to build back the middle class that has driven this country for so long and that middle class is disappearing. So it is on these communities to create and, and uh, use these, these partnerships. And in a lot of cases, these communities are talking to each other and saying, Hey, what are you doing in Charlotte? We need that, 
you know, in, in Dallas and, and those types of things. So the communication that we're seeing behind the scenes is pretty remarkable, but it all comes from a really good place of wanting Americans to be on a path to middle-class lifestyle, to be on a class, a path to careers, um, because there's a lot of exciting careers that are out there and are growing. We just need to be ready for them. I absolutely agree. And I'm glad you mentioned older workers, because that's an area where I think we've jumped ahead a bit uh, in terms of opportunities opening up. All kinds of people are devastated by the thought that they've lost their retirement savings or that they might not have a job to retire from. But at the same time, it feels like there are lots of trends of um, middle-aged and older workers recognizing that there are opportunities, but they have to take a shift. It's mm -hmm. not the end of the world when their old jobs disappeared. Um, and there are different kinds of programs um, around the country that are open for people to uh, go back to school, uh, have fellowships, midlife internships, all kinds of things are happening. One of the um, um, things I want to focus on a little bit, just in case listeners don't know what we're talking about when we're talking about certifications, is that there's been a, a sort of a, a, a new trend mm -hmm. for uh, universities, but also companies like Google and other companies that need things. Uh, to package small amounts of online learning. So you're not going for a degree. Uh, you're going for a certification that might reflect three courses or a certain kind of technology where you get somebody who is reliable, whether it's a university or a company or whomever, you get somebody to certify that, yes, you completed this program. Yes, you have those skills. And the stackable means that uh, in some cases you can ha have multiple ones and turn it into some kind of degree. Mm -hmm. And I, that is something that uh, I've noticed um, a lot of people who never thought they'd take an online course are, right. are doing. My, my clients uh, who are thinking about or are fearing transitions are, are suddenly aware of the possibilities of online line learning. And these are people who a year ago or maybe 18 months ago would never thought they'd do it. And now all of a sudden they're saying, oh my gosh, my communication skills are in demand. I just need to know more about this technology. Are, are you seeing the same thing for older workers? Absolutely. I think one of the reasons that um, Working Nation exists is to, to tell those stories and to give hope to people that there are opportunities that they maybe are not aware of that maybe, as you said, they would not necessarily have taken, um, taken part in. I mean, you mentioned Google's IT certification. Um, that's an amazing program that can be taken online that, uh, that is moving people into work. But the future for young people, and I'm going to transition right back to older workers as, as we're talking about it, but the, for as we talk about stackable credentials, it is the future. It is the future of successful um, education programs within colleges. Um, it makes sense that someone that is going through either for an associate's degree or a four-year degree would be stacking these credentials as they go. 
Um, in some cases, because people leave school um, for a multitude of reasons, you know, uh, either to take care of a family member or they can't afford it. But imagine now that instead of that large number of of folks that have dropped out of school, we're saying people have left school, but they're leaving them with credentials that in things like um, cloud technology and data uh, data analytics and technical support, they actually leave with something that they can put on a resume. And so for, for younger people, I think that's, that is becoming the trend and it's really important. Now, you know, transitioning into older, for, for those of us that might be considered older, um, to, be, to, to also be recognizing that um, technology is changing so quickly and we have to keep up with it. All of us have to keep up with it in order to uh, be relevant and be employable. So knowing what some of those credentials are, knowing that you can go online and get them um, in some cases for free, uh, in some cases through your through your community and and scholarships, um, but I, not only do I think that it's important for a career, I also think it's really really important for all of our psyches to recognize that as we progress through our life and our career, we are capable of learning new things. And that's why I'm positive. I'm more positive in this year because when, I will tell you, when this first started and things started to shut down, I was very fearful that the overwhelming um, anxiety in this country around our own health and well-being because of the pandemic would cause people to freeze. But what we've seen is that um, people are are taking the time to say, okay, through this period of time. Perhaps I've lost my job. Perhaps I know I'm going to lose my job. What do I need to do for my resume to show that, you know, I might have graduated 20 years ago and I might have had five, 10 jobs since then, but I'm relevant. And these certifications make that possible. And um, I mean, we believe that the um, these micro-credentials are the way that we're going to get momentum that the way that we're going to get people back into the workforce since work, workforce participation is a real issue right now. And that's, it's the most dangerous thing when it comes to repairing our economy, but we can repair our economy. If we get people back into the workforce and how do we do that? We give them the skills that they need for the opportunities that are there. Like you, I try not to use the, the term continuous learning, although I believe in it passionately, but so many people have kind of use it with an eye roll. But the one thing that um, the last year has helped us to see practically, but modern scientists has helped us to understand is that human beings are capable of learning new things um, for their whole lives, uh, assuming they have good health. That um, I saw a Washington Post story I liked a lot of, a few weeks ago uh, uh, with stories about people in their 70s and 80s who are still breaking ground and having fun in their careers. The um, critical thing, I think, in staying in the job market and changing gears is that you have to be on the lookout mm. for learning new things. And these days, it means learning new things in new ways. But if you're willing to explore, and if you're willing to be a beginner, which is hard for people who've been experts, but yeah. if you're willing to be a beginner, um, it's also 
can be tremendously fun and gratifying to, to pick up a new skill and to master it. it. It can just give you a new rush of energy. And so there, there's a lot of good news out there, I think, for um, older, however you define that, workers who are willing to say, all right, I'm going to get uh, serious about learning X, whatever, whatever X is for them. Yeah. And we're seeing it um, in one particular area, which Burning Glass called out the green jobs economy as one of the the forces behind rebuilding our economy. We're spending a lot of this year digging into environmental jobs in this country, state by state, which has really never been done before. So we're researching state by state what these jobs are, but also digging down really local into what are the jobs, what are the training that you need, um, and and you know, driving people to those opportunities. And I think it's really interesting. I've, I've said this before to some folks when we're talking about a really heated conversation in this country about the environment and about jobs and about, you know, gas versus green and, and all of these things. The underlying message for me that I keep, you know, hearing from people uh, is there are going to be a lot of jobs and you could fit into that job, especially even if you, in particular, really are passionate about the environment. I think a lot of people are passionate about the environment and they have no idea that within their state, there are really good jobs um, within that sector. Uh, They don't know that they're there and they don't know how to get to them. But I do believe that as we on the Working Nation side start to communicate those, it will be empowering for folks to, to realize I already have some skills there's some things that I need to do in order to, you know, transition into this job. And, and these are good jobs and careers. So um, I, I am hopeful. And I think um, the more we tell the stories about what's out there, the more regional we get and say, you know, here's what's in your neighborhood. Because as I always say, nobody wants to hear, hey, here's a great opportunity for, for you, but you have to move to Nevada or you have to move to New York. You know, the solutions, as we say them at Working Nation, are local. Some people will move to different areas of the country. But a lot of people are saying, you know, what can I do here? And with COVID and with um, this change and working from home, it's opened up a lot of opportunity for a lot of people to not relocate and to have um, to have sustaining careers in their in their hometown. I think that's a great point uh, to end our discussion on since sadly we're running out of time. But uh, there will be jobs. There will be green jobs. There will be um, green jobs in your community, most likely. And there will be jobs that you can access remotely uh, right. from your community, quite likely. Is there any, any other final thoughts you want to um, close with, Joan? I mean, I mentioned green jobs as one, but in terms of, of cyber and IT and, um, and I think we all have to take personal responsibility for knowing what is out there and what the, the jobs of the future are going to be. And then finding like programs like Coursera or stuff that Google does and finding out what you need to move into them. So, you know, I don't want to leave you with the idea that I'm only talking about green jobs. There is There are phenomenal opportunities uh, to upskill and to get into some of these, these careers. It's just about, you know, doing, doing your homework. And, um, and being open to a really exciting opportunity to learn something new and to experience, experience something new and to have, 
you know, the life, the middle-class life or whatever it is that, that you desire to have without the anxiety that is prevalent right now in our society. There's a lot to be hopeful about, and I really appreciate your joining us again today and, and uh, sharing some of those things. I hope you'll come back soon, Joan. This was terrific, and uh, thanks for all the good work that Working Nation is doing. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure, and I, it's always great to talk to you all. Today we've been talking with Joan Lynch, jobs expert and chief content officer of Working Nation. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Today's tip is that when your job disappears, you still have skills that can be repurposed. And more than ever before, there are many ways to upskill to expand your expertise and to find a rewarding job in a new place. Thanks for listening. I hope you come back soon.